Hey, D. Smith. The five agents. Where the uh, where the Jacksonville stuff at? <laughs> Downstairs. Hey, I'm just saying. Every show. It's Pittsburgh stuff in here. <laughs> Seattle. Look at that. Look. Oh, oh. Freddie T. I've seen that guy right yeah, there, man. I had, that boy had muscles. <laughs> that boy had muscles, Freddie T. You never oh, you, played oh, that you, deep. You cold, huh? Now, you never played that deep, so you don't know what happens. Look at those little meaty arms. I can feel the mush right now. What are you talking about? Oh, swole. You no, no, you're not. What's swole? There's no definition in your arm. Look, but this not me just talking. I think I look fine, Channing. You have a serious look in your face, but them are mushy on me. <laughs> <laughs> Looking serious don't make you in shape. <laughs> Hold up. Limitless. Take a stomach cap in it. I thought they hear the witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. No one me, I got the key. On the vision, I can trust. Trust. Limitless. Take a stomach cap in it. I thought they hear the witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. So welcome to The Pivot. We are your host, Freddie T, Channing Crowder, RC. We have an extremely special guest today, DeMarie Smith, the executive director of the NFLPA. To our partners, Happy Dad, we appreciate you. Also to our sponsor, DraftKings, thank you for your support. Everybody who watches the show, who subscribes, who comments, who likes, who reposts. For all of you that, is, that have followed us since the beginning, we are extremely grateful. D. Smith, man, you are not a football guy. In not a, a football guy. In the sense of, let's just say God gave you other talents. I don't know what they are, but, <laughs> but thanks for thinking. God yeah. gave me something. And, and here you are. Uh, Gene Upshaw is the executive director of the NFLPA for 25 years. Yeah. Um, he is not only an exemplary um, example of what the NFLPA can and should be, but he's a legend, a legend both on the field and off. And it's 2019, it's March. The NFL and its players are embarking on what is the largest fight in negotiation history between the two sides. 2009. 2009, 2009 sorry, yeah. 2009. And, and DeMaurice, Smith, Okay, you were there for that meeting. Just stop. <laughs> is, I know we'll get into that later. Yeah, it's... That, that's not your middle name. That is my middle name. Ooh. Fitzgerald. Long line of Fitzgeralds. Mm, boy, you, you better know how to fight when you was a kid. <laughs> but you know, but honestly, D. Smith, Gene Upshaw yeah. had such a legacy yeah. in representing and being the leader of the NFLPA. And now this guy that doesn't have a football background, whose background is law, is elected president. We're embarking on an unfamiliar fight that will be taking places in arenas, not in stadiums, but in courtrooms, yep. at negotiation tables. What made you the right man for that job with your background? I think the fight. I mean, look, in 2009, I remember getting a call from, um, from the search firm to see if you know, I'd be interested in the job, and I told them, no. <laughs> um, we had just elected our first African-American president, um, I was on the transition team for the Department of Justice, looking to become the, the U.S. attorney here in the District of Columbia. And after I told them no, they said, well, can we tell you just a little bit about what this thing is? And they laid out that the <clears throat> players were headed into a certain lockout because the owners said that they would. Um, they said that the owners are already claiming they've got a $4 billion war chest. They're willing to lock the players out for a year. And the only three things that the <laughs> owners want is they want the players to give up their pensions, they want the players to give back 
um, of their salaries, and they want the players to play 18 games for free. And that struck me as just a group of bullies just trying to dictate their way instead of sitting down with the men who actually do the work. I mean, I, I love what we've built in the NFL. I love watching you guys play. But the reality is the only people who are on the field getting their fingers broken, their backs broken, you know, and as we know from a couple of weeks ago, you know, putting themselves in harm's way um, are the players. Everybody else is sitting up in the stand somewhere, you know, chomping down on another shrimp cocktail. And, and I always felt that that was an unfair thing. And I've always hated bullies. I decided that, sure, if the players are interested in, in coming up with a way to fight that, to kind of protect themselves, protect their families, um, to try to do what's right. I mean, it's a rare day that you get to be at a point in your life where you can lead a group of people into the right fight about the right things for all the right reasons. And that was it. And then I had to go and explain to everybody else why everybody else on the outside thought that I was doing the stupidest thing that I've ever done in my life. My wife came through and she was the first person that said, your heart's in this. And um, it's been 14 years. Um, it's only felt like 27, but, but it's been 14 yeah, I, great um, I, I've obviously been in those rooms and we've had very difficult conversations. Yeah. The, those conversations can get extremely confrontational, but yeah. we all understood that as you were for the good of the player, so was everybody who wanted to be in that room and be a part of those negotiations. From the outside, it has been said that you are extremely adversarial when it comes to the relationship between the PA and the NFL. Yeah. What do you say to those people who see you being adversarial as a negative? You look, I, I think for the people who think um, I'm overly adversarial, right? Um, they don't understand the, the battle between labor and management. I mean, look, you had a group of nurses up in New York go on strike just a few days ago. You've had teachers go on strike uh, all over the country. Um, we're fighting with Starbucks workers who want to unionize their Starbucks. At every turn, the only people who are motivated to, to decide, think about it for a second. You're a nurse, you're a teacher, you're working at Starbucks or somewhere else, and you decide that you are so fed up with dealing with management that you are willing to not work in order to get what's fair for you. That's pushing everybody to the wall. And so if you don't understand that this is labor and this is management, that, that's what adversarial is, right? I mean, you've got the, the league has probably been the largest group of bullies in the labor market in the history of labor in, in America. I mean, we have a great business and it's a multi-billion dollar business. And, and yeah, we've had people who have declared war on labor forever, but I don't know of another business in America that has antitrust uh, exemptions, they answer to no one, there's no 10Ks, there's no 10Qs, there's no board of directors, there's no transparency, there's no oversight. The only people who can ever stand up to the National Football League, y'all. And so you have a choice. You can either go into that arrangement thinking that you can sit down with them and, and hope that they do the right thing, or you can decide that you're gonna sit down with them and you're gonna demand the right thing. I wanted to pivot and go back uh, to your upbringing, but you struck something there. When you said 
we, us guys, you know, the players, former players as well, um, how do we get the, the players to understand the type of leverage that they have? I think that, that every player has to understand the, 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 the prism that we, we play or fight under, right? Every person plays three and a half years on average. Right. Our injury rate's 100%. And, and yes, you might be Tom Brady on one hand, you might be backup long snapper John Denny uh, on, <laughs> on, on the other hand, and that's a chasm between all right. of them. But I don't care where you are in the NFL matrix, you fall somewhere between those two prisms, right? And, and players first need to understand it. And then second, they have to realize the leverage that they have. And, and ultimately, just like any group of people who work for a living, the real leverage that we have, just laying it on the table, is the leverage to withhold our services, mm -hmm. right? Again, going back to nurses, um, teachers, coal miners, um, everybody who has decided to not go to work uses that leverage that I'm just gonna deprive you of my labor. Now, do I think that that is an easy decision for a group of people who play for three and a half years? No, because again, and, and I don't, there's nothing wrong with it, but, if, if you're an agent and you're only looking at the interest of an individual player, you'd say to that individual player, well, wait a minute, you, you, this guy's asking you to give up one third of your earning capacity to get a CBA that is probably going to benefit everybody who comes what? After. 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 And, and the greatest part of this job is sure, you know, not everybody makes that decision. The greatest part of this job is we've always had reps, leaders, EC people who understand that our job is to sacrifice and pay it forward. And, and look, we get tested all the time, but that leverage that the players have starts there. After that, you've got multiple other levels of, of, of leverage in sort of this, you know, game strategy matrix. And I hate to be a dork, but I'm a dork. Um, I am. I mean, I just sit around doing game strategy all day because that's what I love doing. But imagine if every NFL player decided, you know what, I'm putting all this team stuff on my Instagram, putting all this team stuff on my uh, Twitter page, take it down. Mm -hmm. They don't pay you for it. Right. When you went to OTAs, you get paid? Nah. No. So when we're looking at or when I'm looking at the game strategy matrix, yes, strike is at the top. But there's all sorts of things that, that you, we do as players in our ecosystem because we've just we've gotten comfortable with that's what football is, right? I want to start, and I've always tried to start, and you've heard this speech a thousand times, stop giving away things for free. Mm -hmm. When you put, you know, your jersey or something else on your Instagram post, man, I think that's great. Look good. It's fantastic. But you know who loves it more than you? NFL. NFL and the team. They're getting full promotion about how much you love the game and how much you love them without you paying, without them paying you a cent. And you look at, you know, a few weeks back, um, I mean, a long time back, early in the season when Kyler Murray pulled all of his stuff um, off his Twitter page. You know who lost their minds? The team. So we have multiple levels of leverage. It just comes down to an issue of will. Well, the, the passion there too, RC was saying, and we kind of joked about it, but where did the passion come from growing up? And then why do you honestly give a damn about these grown-ass millionaires? Because that's how people look at players. Like, I why know. are these grown-ass millionaires complaining? 
I, where it comes from, my parents were were very active in the civil rights movement. You know, my my parents grew up in the Jim Crow South. Um, father literally went to the Marine Corps to escape the 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 you know working on a farm all day. He was a sharecropper's son. Um, when he came back from the Marine Corps, realized that his only way out of the Jim Crow South was coming up north and getting a job. Uh, my mother went to segregated schools, same thing, left uh, Atlanta, Georgia, moved up here, went to a segregated nursing school, um, got her nurse's degree, and that's how both of them, you know, put together a family, a middle-class family to, to support us. Um, I don't know, that, that passion comes from, they work really, really hard under really, really hard circumstances. Um, they're thankful for their jobs, obviously, they love what they do, but, we'd be lying to ourselves if we thought that they all started off at the same level of everybody else, right? And, and so I've always been motivated by this idea that for the people who work for a living, for the people who decide to punch that clock every day, now let's be real, the large, vast majority of people are not gonna go to work every day and become millionaires. The reality, most of our players aren't gonna do that and become millionaires. Once again, Everybody who's dictating the rules or somebody else who's not really doing the work. And what I don't like in particular with NFL owners is, and I'm not saying all of them, just most of them, but they kind of they kinda have this attitude that, that man, y'all should be lucky and thankful. Mm -hmm. Just thankful for doing this. And, and our guys, our guys are so first young and so happy to be there that the league takes advantage and the owners take advantage of your love of the game and your willingness to do what you wanna do because you love it. And that's just simply being taken advantage of. And, and so, no, I mean, I don't go into a negotiating room saying, you know, Mr. Jones and Mr. Kraft and Mr. Goodell. I mean, if they wanna call me D, I'm calling them Roger. You know, and, and it's not disrespectful, it's just leveling the playing field because you guys have, what, collectively 40 years in the NFL between mm -hmm. roughly, right? At every turn, we could, this entire show could be about, tell me the most disrespectful thing you had to deal with while you were at a team. That's an entire show, yeah. right? And then what happens? You win the Super Bowl, everything is great, Who's the first person that touches the trophy? The owner. Right. Yeah, I never even thought about that. Never thought of that. Wow. Now you know, see, he came out and went, why are you always so angry? <laughs> That's why, because all of those things that I see just strike me as somewhat disrespectful, right? I mean, if I owned a plant, if I, you know, I can't imagine owning a coal mine or something like that, but if I owned something where people did something every day to put them in harm's way, and at the end of the day, somebody comes down and gives them a trophy, great job for winning the whole thing. I'll be damned if I'm gonna be the first person to grab the trophy. Why does it go to him first, right? It's just the little things, but yet you've won the Super Bowl and you're thrilled. And so for us, and in this union, you look at our history, this entire history has been about fighting a group of people who have Unbridled power, unbridled um, money, and an absolute unbridled will to break us. Just break us. 
And, and so, you know, if they want to get after it, then man, pack a, you can pack a lunch, pack a fucking lunch, right? You know? D. So, D. D Smith, the, the passion is obviously there. I don't know if this will be the first time people outside of our walls and our yeah. world got an opportunity to see it. In 2011, we are bracing for the lockout and we make a decision at the Super Bowl, right? Pittsburgh and Green Bay. Yeah. We aren't going to answer questions that uh, are asked to us by the media because we're preparing for the lockout. We aren't going to give you that. We're only going to talk about what we want to do yep. with the CBA. And then you fast forward that and we're on a call in late July about going to camp before a CBA is actually negotiated yep. and signed. And many people are saying, let's get back, let's get back, yeah. let's get back. I say, listen, listen, guys, if we go back, I'm letting you know this thing passes. No matter what it is, they are going to pass it. Obviously, Charlie Batch, who was a great leader, yep. was the team rep, rep at the time. I was under him um, as a rep as well. And we decided as a team that we would vote no. We were the only team. Yep of the 32, when you are dealing with the players, but you're also dealing for the players, and you believe that there's one thing that's better for us as a group, but the players decide yeah. that they're going to go in the op opposite direction, how do you deal with that? You know, it, you know, I know people think that that's a hard place to be. It's not. You know, th this job at the end of the day, I, I don't play. I don't, I don't pick up a ball. I don't go to camp. My high school coach will tell you I was the worst football player he's ever seen. My job is to, to, to provide vision, you know, game strategy, and, and give people what I think is the best advice, right? But at the end of the day, I, I insist on it being the player's decision, right? Because anything less than that, you, you, you lose legitimacy, right? And, and look, on the other side of the table, from the owner's side of the table, I mean, let's not get it twisted, they're killers. All of them. I mean, they're they're all killers. I know, I know they smile and they do great things and they give a lot of money to charity. But you've been in the negotiating room with them; they will cut everybody's throat, even and their own. Even they'll eat their we've own. We've been there yeah. when they've cut another owner's throat in a room, and you sit back and you're like, right? Because you now realize that this is a group of people that aren't used to anyone telling them no. Right. If you don't have it be the player's decision, if if it becomes something that you know I dictate, in a weird way, you're you're actually giving the owners power, because they now know and they've got something on you, and they and they'll come after me, and they'll come after us. Our power, our ethos, our unity, what the union has to be about has to be about the players, and and look, you know, we we got in those rooms and we shut the door, and you know, we can talk about a lot of stuff, and there's some stuff that stays in the locker room. Mm -hmm. Right, but there were a lot of times we were in a room and we all didn't agree. Mm -hmm. And and we got after it, right? And and it could get hot and, and it could get emotional. And the only thing I would say that I insisted on, still insist on is, and I, it just is, we can disagree in the room and we can come after each other in the room. But man, after we all vote and decide we're all gonna turn right or we all yeah. gonna turn left, man, I'll be damned, right, if, if we're gonna get out of that room and then people start talking outside the room because you know, you said it before we went on, on, on camera, man, it is all about the unity and the solidarity that we have. Sometimes solidarity as perceived is just as powerful as solidarity in, in, in reality, right? I would say from an attorney standpoint, 
you're on one side of it. Yeah. Defense or, you know, the prosecution yeah, yeah, or defense yeah, yeah. and somebody wins and loses. Yeah. But now you're in a situation where obviously the NFL, the owners and all, like you said, you're combative, I guess. And they I would say they don't like you or no. y'all aren't tight. No. Okay. Just didn't no. want to put, no, no, put no, words we're in their mouth. vacations together, man. Okay. I mean, we're not... But also no. on your side, yeah. there's people yeah. that question you. Sure. Yeah. Like, how do you deal with that where, okay, I'm fighting you, yeah. but to your point, I know for a fact these people behind me aren't all with me <laughs> yeah. in this fight. I, look, that that's a union. And, uh, you know, the history of labor unions, um, th that's just always going to be the case. And, and my only thing is, look, if in this house, um, this house, um, once the players made a decision, once we make a decision as, as a group of leaders here, you know, I, I love sort of the same sessions with our senior, you know, reports that, that I like in the room. I, look. Everybody here has told me a thousand times that my idea is stupid. Dumbest thing I've ever heard, we should never do that. I love that. Why? Because it gives me the bandwidth to come up with as many ideas as I think might work. And, and every now and then people go, man, D, that is just the dumbest thing we should ever do. Now sometimes, most of the time, I'm like, okay, you know what? I didn't think about it that way. That's a dumb idea, we're not gonna do it. But once again, if we decide that we're going to do it, if we decide this is the best strategy, Man, we're all turning right because that if if we don't do it that way, then we're not serving the interests of the players. And and again, I, I think the toughest um, yet rewarding job you can possibly have is is being on the executive committee and being on the board yeah. of the NFL players because man, it, it's something I, I don't even know how to describe it. Right until you get to rep meeting, you don't know what it's about. But rep meeting is. <laughs> is the one time that all group of players are coming in, even though they play for different teams, they've all decided to come in to take their jerseys off, right? Not a cowboy, not a stealer, not an ex. You're a family. And you get in and you shut the doors and we just get after it, right? Because I want us to be here, I want us to maximize our strength and you know there's players who disagree. And, and what's beautiful about the whole thing is, you know, I. You know, I, I try to block out a lot of the noise, you know? I mean, the hardest part of this job is just the noise. You know, there's like, there's like 5,000 armchair quarterbacks who will critique what I do in the same way that they critique how well you played defense that day, why didn't you do this? I mean, how many times have you gone into a bar and some guys are looking at you and be like, man, how come y'all didn't? And you just want to go, man, shut up. You don't know. You don't know what you're talking about. Most of the people on the outside who, who cover our sport, cover our business, like to cover our business like a sport. Who wins, who loses, who's up, who's down. The business of the union, the business of the NFL players is not a sport. I mean, it, it's just not. Um, I wish it could be as simple as, you know, who wins, who loses. But what we're trying to do is simply protect our people with the leverage that we have, understanding that on one side, it's three and a half years. On the other side, it's injury rate of 100%. And that box means that we have hard decisions to make, right? You know, I love the people like, well, D, how, you know, like guaranteed contracts. D, how come they don't have guaranteed contracts? First thing I say to people is, what, what, what CBA guarantees contracts? Well, D, basketball, mm, that's wrong. Well, deep baseball, eh, that's wrong too. 
um, you know, if you could read somewhere beyond the third grade level, you would figure out that both of those CBAs do not guarantee contracts. Where do they come from? You know where guaranteed contracts came from? Free agent players in basketball deciding that they were entitled to guaranteed contracts. And then after that, every free agent player insisted on guaranteed contract. Well, the power for guaranteed contracts in the NFL has always been in the power of the players themselves. So that's the challenge, right? So, you know, what's frustrating for me sometimes is we get to, we get to Cousins contract. I don't care how you want to think about it. That dude, modern time, effectuated the first fully guaranteed contract of, of you know, at least in my lifetime. And yet, after he does his contract, we have three to four first ballot Hall of Fame quarterbacks who don't insist on guaranteed contracts. They might have gotten a higher number, but who does that hurt? The next guy after them. So then you fast forward, and again, you know, always a little controversy around this one, but Deshaun Watson does a fully guaranteed contract. What happens after his contract? You have several high-profile quarterbacks who don't insist on guaranteed contracts or can't get guaranteed contracts. So for us, we, we've got two questions we have to ask ourselves. First, um, talking about or looking at those contract negotiations themselves, did those guys fight for a guaranteed contract? And either they did or they didn't, right? Second thing we want to focus on is, is the league doing anything to prevent guaranteed contracts? And so, I mean, it's been publicly reported. We filed a, a lawsuit against the league accusing them of collusion, trying to prevent guaranteed contracts. So that yin and the yang is a real yin and the yang. Yes, there's power in the players to get guaranteed contracts, but at the same time, the reality is, do the owners collude to fight the best interests of players? Yeah. Yeah. And it's against our CBA. So, you know, it's a long answer, but people ask, man, why am I aggressive? Or why do I like to sue people? Or all oh, the only thing D wants to do is litigate. Or the only thing he is is a trial lawyer. Um, there's, there's not one single thing in that CBA that the players have ever gotten with us fighting to the death for. Just fighting yeah. to the death. Yeah. Right? Along the lines of guaranteed contracts, protecting yeah. the players, et cetera. Uh, after the entire world witnessed what happened with DeMar. Yeah. And you mentioned that the owners are bullies and you yeah. know they, they're different on that side of the yeah. table. Do you think they show more compassion in those negotiations to potentially go down the road and visit that um, guaranteed contract? No. Okay. Um, you know, look, um, the, again, no, no CBA guarantees the contracts, right? So um, I, I don't... I don't see the owners, and by the way, I mean, I'd be happy to be wrong, but you know, if Roger wants to pick up the phone and call me right now, I'd, I'd take the call, right? But if the owners wanted to decide to tomorrow to guarantee all the contracts, <laughs> okay. I just don't think that's gonna happen, right? Um, but, but remember, I think that there's so much confusion in the, in the ecosystem about guaranteed contracts. And a lot of times we're talking past each other. So 30 seconds on guaranteed contracts, right? So you take a person who is injured um, and they're still under contract. You guys know in your standard player contract, you have an injury protection clause mm -hmm. where for the balance of that year, if you're injured and can't play, you're paid your full salary. So 
the first thing that people like to get their heads around is if you get injured in that first year and there's still money coming to you, you get paid under the injury protection clause of your own contract. And again, I, I think the number of people will probably know that is 12. Yeah. In 2020, we negotiated the extended injury protection. So let's just say after that first year, you have years two and three on your contract. Under the um, injury extended injury protection program, year two and year three is 100% covered as a benefit. So your, your contract is guaranteed year two, year three, until you know, you're, you're done with your contract, up to a max, but, it, but it's guaranteed. Those were huge wins in, in 20, right? And, and I know everybody wanted to talk about the 17th game and everything else, but the wins that we got that were meaningful for the players was a 20% increase in everybody's minimum salary, but also a lot of changes in benefits that protect our guys. So, I mean, look, I love the job because I love the nuances. It's like sticking your hands into the muck <laughs> uh, and, and trying to do what's best for the players. But look, it, it's, it's a hard gig. Um, and, and I think it's, but again, I think the toughest job in the union, player reps. I mean, it's a thankless job. Yeah, trust me. DraftKings 2, take one. Oh, shoot, we up. Hey, listen, no, it's DraftKings again. And you know what last week was, man. We got past wildcard weekend. So now it's time for the big dogs. And any new customer that uses the promo code PIVOT, you place a $5 bet on any football game, and you get $200 in additional bets. And this is how we roll with it, champ. But there's some other things that you could do if you don't necessarily just want to place that one bet. Same game parlays on those games is what I'm going to do. Who's going to win? How much they going to win by? Over-unders on teams, over-unders on games. Multiply your winnings by having same game parlays lined up, baby. Win that bread. Although we want DraftKings to be everywhere, it's not. And just in case it's not in your state, don't worry. We got DraftKings Daily Fantasy. You get paid doing that too. But download the DraftKings Sportsbook and RC will tell you the rest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app on any of your mobile devices. And listen, what we did just now was put pressure on ourselves. So put pressure on DraftKings by signing up right now using the promo code PIVOT, place a $5 bet on any football game, and you get $200 in additional bets. Now that's how you run it. Back to the show. D, like, we don't, and people don't touch OTAs. They yeah. don't get an opportunity to see that or know what it is or know the yeah. time spent inside buildings. What started many of these questions publicly now and former players asking and obviously current players asking was watching DeMar Hamlin yep. fall on the field. It gave everyone a different visual of what's possible playing football. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't at your house or, or yeah. in this building but there had to be a protocol or things that took place that night yep. that were never practiced, that yep. were ne not necessarily in place because of previous experience that ended in DeMar getting an opportunity because the NFL and the PA talked about it, yep. getting an opportunity to get the rest of his contract. Yeah. Kind of explain to us what happens right when DeMar falls because we end up not having a game right. finished, yep. right? And now, and then moving into the negotiation of making sure he was taken care of yep. and his contract was guaranteed the rest of the season. Yeah, well, I mean, look, that night uh, I was home watching the game. Um, you know, I didn't know exactly what had happened, but you could, everybody watching, you know, especially if you've spent time with, with NFL players, right? You, 
you knew from the reaction that this was not, this wasn't a normal concussion, this wasn't a normal, wasn't even a normal neck injury, right? It wasn't a lower extremity injury. And you could tell something was, was wrong. I mean, I would probably say somewhere short of the 10-minute the mark, um, I called Roger and, and it, it was, you know, clear to me at the point that we, um, this game, this game should not go forward. For me, it, it was making it clear that the leadership decision that needed to be made was that this game should end. That's just a leadership decision. And I know people talked about, you know, what actually happened and, you know, thankfully we had a EC member in the in the locker room on the on the Bengals, Mike, you know, Mike T. Um, I talked to him. Um, he gave me kind of an insight of what was going on with the players and, and what was happening. And, you know, but from my standpoint, I don't even think this is a player decision. I don't even think it's a coach decision. I think it's a leadership decision of what's happened on this field is so completely out of the pale of what we should be dealing with um, in a game context. And, and no, I'm not a football guy. And I know people are like, oh my God, you know, it's just a game. Mm -hmm. It's entertainment. <laughs> and so one, once you realize that someone is literally fighting for their lives on national TV and people have watched the, the resuscitation effort, which, you know, I've seen. Um, games end. There's no room for a game at that point. And, and that's a leadership decision. And so, you know, I guess what, 50 minutes later, 45 minutes later, the game was, the game was uh, uh, canceled or postponed. Um, uh, right after that, you know, the, the only calls from the union side are what do we need on the union side to make sure that the young man and his family have everything. So I flew to Cincinnati that next day, flew our uh, medical director there, and I told Tom, you're there until he walks out of this hospital, making sure the family, whatever they needed, we had. The contract stuff came a little bit later um, because to me, we're gonna figure out the contract stuff, right? But to your point, we put in uh, emergency action procedures back in, the, in, in 2011. Um, we rewrote Article 39, which covers health and safety because we codified everything that we thought should be the way in which the, the league and the teams um, deal with medical conditions or health conditions for our players. You know, people ask me, I'll never forget, people ask me back then, well, why, why did you insist in the collective bargaining agreement, why did you insist on language saying that the teams had to comply with all federal, state, and local, and ethical laws? Because sometimes they don't. Mm. They don't. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what we've done because you could never anticipate something like that. But I'm glad that we had insisted on the right personnel being on the sidelines. Um, I love the fact that we credential every team doctor, that we make sure that they have a certain amount of, 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 of medical stature. Um, you know, we eliminated team doctors having financial affiliations <laughs> with the team. 
right? Because that creates a perverse incentive to yeah, maybe find people that, side. right. And you know, from this year, man, it's been a year. You know, we kind of got into it when, when I fired the um, unaffiliated neurological consultant that was involved in the, in the TUA investigation. Um, I'm sure that made a lot of those folks, you know, not happy. And I heard from a lot of them, but we jointly hire and pay you. So if you decide that you're going to be somewhat disrespectful and, and, and not cooperate in our investigation, why should you have the job? Yeah. And why should I apologize for firing you? Um, no, <laughs> no, I didn't like it, but what do the players deserve? that you know you mentioned what do the players deserve and we had an opportunity to listen to you speak about guaranteed contracts yeah. and what the free agents in the NBA decided to do in taking those contracts yeah. right now we're dealing with Lamar Jackson and yeah. Lamar Jackson has been this very curious situation yeah. I'd say because he doesn't have an agent in the the familiar sense Correct. of having an agent. And obviously, I don't, I don't think people know that the NFLPA is a part of those negotiations and the fact that you and your staff do their best to make sure people don't take bad deals because bad deals for this individual equals bad deals 100%. for the next individual. So 100%. when a guy like Lamar Jackson, at least rumored, yeah. is fighting to get a guaranteed yeah. contract because he saw Deshaun Watson get a guaranteed contract, he believes that he should, which is you, you've kind of intimated that's the way to guarantee 100%. guaranteed money. 100%. What can you guys do to support him? Because yep. now you get the, this is what's wrong with my knee. I can't, yeah. I can't play right now. And other things are being said from the other side. Right. How can you support Lamar Jackson in making sure he's able to get what he's after? Yeah. Well, you know, three things. One, um, you know, the, 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 the part of this job that I love the most, probably, the, you know, the part that the players hate the most, of course, probably is I like to teach, you know, and, and you've, all of you have been there suffering through, um, you know, me going through team meetings. Um, the teaching part of this is so important because if you don't understand the role of free agent players in guaranteeing contracts throughout sport, you miss the fact that this is a pivotal moment. Right, because right behind Lamar, as talented as he is, think about the number of quarterbacks coming up behind him, right? I mean, we saw them play mm -hmm. um, last night. We saw them play this weekend. We saw one play in the Super Bowl um, last year. All those guys are coming behind him on those free agent contracts. So literally, the, the weight of whether we move forward on guaranteed contracts now. Right, you've got the Watson contract. Literally, that could be bookended um, by by Lamar's contract. So the first thing we do is teach. Second thing, um, you know, again, don't get into a lot of conversations we have with players and the the people who are supporting them. But um, he has access to the full weight of of the NFLPA, all of our research, and and we we stay in contact with him um, about those contracts because you know a bad contract for one person is a bad contract for everybody. And then third, we're gonna make sure that we do our best to ensure that there isn't collusion by the owners to prevent that. And uh, you know, our, our grievances are confidential. Obviously, I'm only referring to what's been publicly, <laughs> publicly discussed um, about collusion. 
But apart from guaranteed contracts, the owners have historically colluded against the players when it was in their best interest. I mean, you, you guys came up on the elevator. There was a picture of John Mackey. Um, owners colluded to prevent free agency. There's a picture of Freeman McNeil. He's the second or third player to win a jury trial against the owners to achieve free agency in 1993. They colluded against us in 2011 by locking the players out. They colluded by rigging the TV contracts yep. to give them the $4 billion in, in, um, in um, salary. They colluded when they set the secret salary cap in 2010, right? Everybody was looking for the uncapped year. We all remember? And, and the union and, and Gene and everybody else before him had, had kind of built this poison pill into the CBA. And the poison pill was, if the CBA expires, free market takes over, right? Salary cap was going to be $300 million because yeah. somebody's going to spend $300 million. Well, what we didn't know at the time was the owners got together and all shook hands and agreed to a secret salary cap. Except for what? Two teams, commanders and cowboys, right? So, I mean, the idea that the owners would come together and shake hands and decide to have a secret agreement that screws players, no one should be shocked. <laughs> no one. So, you know, going back to kind of where we started, does that make me aggressive? I mean, I just think it makes me a realist. But, but as aggressive you can be, and I, and I understand totally what you're saying, yeah. setting the market, this guy gets 40, so the next guy gets 41 and all that. Yeah. But how unrealistic is it? I use myself yeah. for, for an example. When we're going in and talking about the CBA when I was playing, and y'all started talking about guys that played in the 70s are going to yeah. get more money when they turn 80, yeah. and I haven't got my big deal yet. <laughs> D, I'm not concerned with their needs. I know. You know I what I'm know. saying? And even that, where I, I want to yeah. get my money. Yeah. Oh, well, if you take this, then this guy coming out of college in two years isn't going to get. I don't know him. Right. I know my mom doesn't have the house I want her right. in. Like, that's the realistic yeah. part. If you're talking about getting these players on the same page. It's hard. That's it's why we have to have a union, because yeah. if we could do it by ourselves and agree, hey, don't take that, because you're going to mess me over. I got you, bro. Right. They just offered me $30 million. I'm taking this money. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, but, but that's why you have a union, right? And, and, and the greatest thing about the union, remember, we know they collude. We know it. It's okay and lawful for us to collude. When they collude, it's against the law. If the five quarterbacks got together and decided none of us are going to sign a contract unless it has this, this, and this, you know what? Perfectly lawful. If every defensive back or free safety that was a free agent in, in one year, and again, remember, we tried this with free agent D-backs, I think, one year because we had that class. We had a bumper crop. If the five guys decide that I'm not going to sign anything that doesn't have a two and a zero, in it that's fully guaranteed. And by the way, if he doesn't get the contract, none of us are showing up for camp. Perfectly legal. But it's hard, right? Because we've gone through that in the history of our union. We've, we've tried to get that done. And just like the Super Bowl press conference, it only takes one guy who signs the contract and the other five guys are going, wait, what? <laughs> then you're stuck. But that doesn't keep me from trying because if, if it's successful, the reason why the owners fight it so hard is we just need to be successful once. Once. Imagine if, I mean, again, we went through COVID and the players decided 
OTAs was too much of a risk during COVID. So you know what? For the first time in history, we didn't have any OTAs. And, and by the way, football was fine. <laughs> right. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Next year, what happens? Everybody wants to go back to OTAs. Right, you had the opportunity because you didn't go that year for whatever reason. Now let's continue. Let, let, let the next crop, and the honestly, next group do it. I thought, I mean, again, I'm the Pollyanna in the group. I thought once we got to that point where for one year nobody went and football was fine, man, you do the team meetings, guys are like, man, my, my body's never felt better. And then the next year, what happens? Because again, what do the owners do and what do teams do? And, and God bless them. Even the coaches I like do exactly the same thing. D-man, you know, we just... We need to get younger players in. We need to kind of teach them what it means to be a pro. And I mean, it helps, it helps the game, it helps this. Don't get mad. I don't care, right? Football was fine in COVID without OTAs. Fine, nobody missed a beat. Great Super Bowl, great playoffs, fantastic. We don't need them. It's just, you know a coach, even the good ones, will work our guys for as long as they can work our guys. I have never met a coach who had eight hours or whatever to work guys um, who decided, you know what, I only need five. Right. They're gonna, they gonna take what you give them. They will take it to the <laughs> seventh hour, 59th minute, tick, 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 boom. No, that, that's just how they're wired. I, I get it. But we have to be in a position where we take back what's ours. And our off season is ours. We don't get paid for it. Now, by the way, flip it around. If the teams then want to pay you to come to OTAs, then you go. Kansas City is a team that pays the majority of their players to come to OTAs. I'm not, I'm not mad. Go get your, go get your money. But if you're somewhere else and they're dragging you in away from your family during the off season, I mean, again, I'll throw it to you guys. What days did you not train during the offseason? He didn't work out. Yeah, I just, exactly. I, I just drank. <laughs> they, I'm, okay, I'm, got that question. Yeah, D, I'm surprised when they talk about their regimens. I'm like, y'all did all that to play football? <laughs> what, what were y'all doing when y'all were kids? I just go play. But oh, no, I see what see, you're saying. You, I should have had you. That's you why oh, yeah, he's in bad. He had 17 surgeries. He could have been oh, here we go. doing see, some rehab. See, here's what? the hater part. He, he could have been <laughs> taking care of himself. <laughs> but, but, no, you asked about they working out. But yeah. I think I think to your point, the guys that take this game serious, yeah, they, never miss a they day. work out harder when they're not with the team. And that's my point. That's the my that's point the is, that's the worst part. That's my point. That's the worst part of the year. The one conversation that we've had before and you know this is probably after a couple of drinks at whatever pool mm. we're at you know once the couple. yeah once couple a lot once the the meetings are older over was there's truly never peace when other people don't see negotiations going on in these things there's truly never peace and for some reason it seems easier to get the ryan clarks you know the the free agent uh, the undrafted free agent who worked his way to, to be a good player, that guy is for everybody because he's been at every stage, right? Yeah. I was undrafted, I was cut, yep. I was a Super Bowl champion, I was a Pro Bowler, so I understand that, and I, I'm gonna fight for everybody because eventually I'm gonna be retired 100%. too. In 2020, Michael Thomas put together a video about what they wanted Roger Goodell to say as far as social justice matters. 
Yep. And Patrick Mahomes became yep. involved and other quarterbacks became involved. And now we had at least Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady coming behind the, a movement because they saw that the tide had changed. Correct. It wasn't It wasn't a negative like it was in 2016, 2000, 2017 yeah. with Colin Kaepernick. Right, it's comfortable. But what hasn't been comfortable for the star quarterbacks, the, the Patrick Mahomes, the Joe Burrows, the Josh Allens, and all those guys, is to stand in front of the union, the quarterback clubs, and all of those things. Yeah. How do you get, think about this, in the AFC right now, the four dudes that are left, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, all 27 years old and younger. Yep. How do we get those dudes involved and what would that do for the game opposed to the way the Joe Montanas yeah. and those guys were involved with the QB club? I think the beauty of those guys, those are union guys. Um, and I, look, I, I, I don't know, I don't know what was going through Joe Montana's head when he crossed, but it made him a scab. And so the one thing that I've always tried to do, as you guys know, when, when, when we show up for team meetings, I try to give everybody the unvarnished truth. I might tune some dudes up a little bit and, and, and call guys cowards for, for crossing the picket line. Um, and I do it for two reasons. One, if you sugarcoat history, um, you disrespect history. And for all of those guys who stayed on that picket line, if I don't demonstrate the harm that somebody like Joe Montana did, it's disrespectful to the guys who stayed on that picket line and ultimately got crushed, right? The second reason I do it is because I want every one of those younger quarterbacks and every one of those guys who come in, and they all heard it at rookie premiere anyway, can't be you, can't be you, right? So, you know, the reason why you walk out of this door, you know, in that wall facing that thing, um, facing the, the other history wall, the reason why we have Drew Brees and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Mike Vrabel um, and Vincent Jackson and Logan Mankins and Vaughn Miller on that wall was because those guys decided to be lead plaintiffs when we sued the league in 2011. And so, yeah, I mean, the reason why we spend a lot of time talking about that history is to, is to pay homage to the people who fought the good fight. The other reason I do it is, man, you can't be that dude, right? And, and so I want every one of those guys, and by the way, those guys will be in the league when, probably will be in the league when they have a big decision in 2030. I want them to know that, man, Tom Brady did the right thing, Drew Brees did the right thing, Peyton Manning did the right thing, Vaughn Miller did the right thing, um, just as much as the Ryan Clarks and everybody else did the right thing. Because look, I can't, you know, you know this, I can't make a player do anything. I, you know, I can't make my kids do anything. Um, all I can do is teach, try to make them understand where they fit in the, the fight Right, you know, to your point, why do I care about the dude behind me? Because I want the dude in the locker room in 2030 to care about your pension, even though you haven't played in a few years. Because I want that dude to vote to increase your pension from 10, 15 years ago, regardless of whether he knows you. But that's a, man, that's a thing that you either teach and you get and you get the ethos of it. You either, it's like meat, you either get it or you don't. 
And so for us, you know, I, the, the next generation of player, um, you know, the good news, we've got a great CBA that's great until 2030. I'll tell you right now, 2030, what's going to be on the table? We're probably one of the last large companies in America that pay a pension. Mm. And that's going to be the thing that the owners are going to come back in 2030. Why? Because while we fund the pension, can dork in me, we have a Taft-Hartley pension. What that means is once you fund it, the employer is on the hook to make sure there's always enough money to cover the pensions. We're going through a, at least a mild, maybe soft R recession. Do you know who had to put money in to raise the level of the pension fund? The owners. And they're on the hook. So I'll tell you right now, in 2030, what's gonna be on the, on the table is the owner's gonna say, we don't need this pension anymore. We'll put $5 million into salary cap and we'll increase your 401k. But then after that, don't worry about it. It's a problem. In this game, I know every, every Sunday night or Monday morning or late game, I'm getting up and I'm evaluating myself. Yeah. Mm. And the coaches want you to say, well, how do you think you played? Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna ask you, D. Yep. And your, and your tenure, I don't know if you want to do letter grades or what. Yeah. How do you think you perform? I've always scored above the curve, so I always give myself an A. Um, <laughs> kidding. <laughs> kidding. <laughs> we all got goals in 2023, and I got to find some folks to help me. I need to get better on social media. Personal trainer, now I need you. I got to get back in shape. And that is where ZipRecruiter steps in. It's hard to find people who are so good at what they do. It's like if you're hiring, how do you find the best people for all the different roles on your team? It's easy. ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DraftKings. Why ZipRecruiter? ZipRecruiter uses power matching technology to find that right candidate for the jobs you need. And ZipRecruiter will send personal invites to the perfect candidate so they'll be more likely to apply. You know you gotta have that good help. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See for yourself. Go to the exclusive website to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash DraftKings. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash DraftKings. D-R-A-F-T-K-I-N-G-S. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I always give myself, I think I'm my hardest critic, you know, I try to stay somewhere between B plus and a B minus. You know, I I think that, look, you, you can't go through this job error free. Um, there were times certainly where you know, I might be too aggressive in, in some instance and, and, and not looking for a little bit of charity on the other. Um, there's probably times where I kicked off more fights than I, I had to. But, but on the other side, I've always prided myself on knowing who our opponent is. And while everybody else kind of wants to gloss over that these are just grandfathers who are, love football and love the game and D, why can't you just be happy? You know, can't we all just be happy? No. No, because I've won ours. And, and so, you know, I might grade myself a B plus on the, on the overall, give myself an A minus on the passion, uh, probably give myself a C minus on the patience because uh, I am not a patient dude. But, but again, you know, the overall growth of the union, um, that's A plus work for us, right? What's that one play you want to get back? Man, there's more than one play, but one I would love to get back is I wish I would have chartered a plane after that night of the Pro Bowl 
and flown to the Super Bowl with you and Green Bay? Because I know it sounds like a little thing, but the NFL's prom is Super Bowl. It's the prom. And they have an emotional love of this prom that makes our high school prom look like chiclets, right? If we could have changed the entire conversation of the Super Bowl that whole week, where the players basically kind of gave the league the middle finger and was, they were talking about, well, why are you cutting off um, the health care to our wives? Because that's what they did. Why are you trying to force us playing two days for free? Because that's what you wanted to do. Why are you trying to take the pensions away from people who are actually doing the work? Imagine, imagine the level of shift in the game theory that happens if that goes through. The thing that you and I and everybody else planned that week, that's a play I wish I had over. Because it would have been, um, you know, remember the, 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 the first game of the season. You know, that was the, the Super Bowl thing was actually supposed to be a bookend. Because remember the first game of the season, everybody did the one team salute. Yep. And that was the first time, and I think the only time, other than maybe when most of the teams knelt, you know, in, in 16. That's the only time I can ever remember any union in any sport getting every player to do one showing of solidarity all at once. And that Super Bowl thing would have been the bookend of that. I wish I had that one over. The 14 years, March 15th, right? Yeah, man, I look at that box and, man, 14 years. 14 years. Yeah. Uh, the game has changed yeah. uh, drastically. We sit at home sometimes say, damn, we were born way too early. These contracts are crazy. <laughs> um, get one but, more. Uh, far from it. Looking back, yeah. you know, and looking forward, yeah. uh, the game has done a beautiful thing. What drives you the most? I think probably what drives me the most is something that's, that's, that's near and dear to you. Think about that. When you grew up and, and all of us are in a household where we have some close connection to another generation of player who did exactly the same thing um, that we're doing going forward. And in the same way that all of you, um, you know, went through two-a-days, went through multiple padded practices, um, your coach could do just about anything they wanted to do anytime they wanted to do it. What drives me is changing the work and your reward for a work where every day the players are better off tomorrow than they were yesterday. That's what drives me. And, and in the same way that your dad wanted something better for you, you created something better for the person who comes in the locker room, right? And, you know, I can remember one, uh, he'll, probably, he'll probably wanna kill me for telling this story, but I remember we were in the thick of negotiations in, in 2011. You were there, we were in this room. Forget you know, who was saying something, but I, one of the owners was talking about why it was so important to, to play 18 games. You know, and oh, we're gonna increase revenue, we're gonna increase this, and it's like, yeah, but you're, you're not increasing the weekly pay for the player. Mm -hmm. Right, it's more work for less, less pay, pay. Right, we had one guy on our executive committee at the time. He's now an NFL head coach, so I won't say his name. Um, it's great. It's Mike Vrabel. 
because um, I love Braves. Um, and I remember one of the owners saying, you know, players should want to do this, players should want to do this. And I remember that guy turning to the owner, all of them, and saying, you know, you guys just keep wanting us to do more and more and more. And, but unlike me, I can't will my locker room, mm. my locker, to my son in the same way that you, Mr. Owner, are gonna will the team to your son. The only thing I can give to the guy who's coming behind me is a better game, better rules, better union, and a better CBA. And so that's it, right? And, and, and at the end of the day, um, this is a battle, you know, and I, I know they hate it, but do I think it's a battle between good and evil? Yes. You always say that. It, it is. I mean, yeah. you want me to sugarcoat it? I mean, yeah. I mean, are some of the owners, do we get along? Sure. But I don't, I don't see many of those cats, you know, willing you a 20% interest in the team. No. Yeah. We used to get into those discussions about the owners and Roger Goodell and who works for who and all of these things. Uh, you'll be walking out of the door in 2024. Yep. Uh, as somebody who was in those fights with you, you were the perfect partner in that. Not that we always got along, not that we always agreed, but when, when, it, when it was time to fight, I knew you were going to fight. Yeah. And I think Thank that's you. always most important from where I sit. I'm going to give you an opportunity to answer a question I think I know the answer to, but not everybody who plays this game knows is the NFL and Roger Goodell for the players? No. Um, the NFL and the owners are there to perpetuate the game and the league. For the players, no. Um, I mean, that's, that shouldn't be a crazy statement, right? I mean, you, you were... Um, you know, when, when you sit as a player rep, when you all of you sat in those rooms in that 2010-2011 swing, right? I mean, that was as bad as it gets. We're not invited into the boardrooms, right? I mean, when the league makes decisions that they want to make, they don't, they don't typically call me and ask, hey, D, what do you think, right? We have a relationship that is codified by a CBA that is literally written off the backs of current and former players. There is not one thing, and I, I know it sounds like an overstatement, but there is not one thing in that collective bargaining agreement that the owners gave us. Not one. You talk about the injury protection benefits, fought for that. Pensions, fought for that. Off-season, fought for that. Article 39, fought for that. It's not a relationship where they wake up every morning saying to themselves, man, what's gonna make Ryan Clark feel better and do better today? And by the way, I mean, we've all worked with great coaches and great GMs, but the, the thing of the league is a multi-billion dollar entity that has no supervision. I mean, I, every now and then I think people just don't understand the gravamen of that. Apple, public board, has to file 10Ks, 10Qs, SEC oversight. 
myriad of other governments, uh, governmental agencies, state government agencies over, oversee them. This is 32 people who answer to nobody. In that Roger Goodell is the face of that. If I'm Bryce Young, if I'm CJ Stroud, if I'm these young players that are coming into the league this yeah. year, the young players that just got out, they're two, they're two people that we listen to, right? We get to see what DeMarie Smith says. Nobody cares what I say. Right, but we get to see what Roger Goodell says, yeah. and the world cares yeah. about what he says. Yeah. Should we trust the word of Roger Goodell? I think Ronald Reagan had that line, trust but verify. Um, I would just slap off the trust part. Because, look, that's not a knock on Roger. He is elected by the owners. You were in the league before me. Um, all of you, again, 40 years or so. When did, did you guys vote for the commissioner? Nah. I mean, and, and if you, you know, again, I teach and I'm teaching, I got my first class this year at, uh, back at Yale. The first lecture is just what are the leagues and what, what, what the leagues are and what they are not. The first thing everybody has to get their head around is this tag called the commissioner was a legal fiction in the first place. I mean, it dates back to, to Kennesaw, Mountain, Landis, more stuff than you'd ever want to know, first, first commissioner of, 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 of baseball. But the owners were clever. They realized, well, we want to elect a guy that represents just the owners, but we want to give him a title that makes it sound like he's working for the good of everybody. That's how the term commissioner came up. So, no, I never call Roger the commissioner. His name's Roger. Right. I mean, it's not like I sit down at the table and they're like, oh, hello, Mr. Executive Director. No, hell no. And we, sh well, put it this way. We sure as hell know from reading people's emails that they say other things about <laughs> it. So, right, so let's not get it twisted. Yeah. Let's just not, let's just not, absolutely, yeah. Hey, man, D, great to see you. I'm like, yeah, until you send an email. Right. So, it's good. But I didn't elect him. You didn't elect him, and this idea that there's this single person who's kind of hovering out there, and, and I think you and I were talking about it before, that he doesn't take a side. Well, when that guy showed up in your locker room, trying to sort of soft, you know, soft sell that thing that nobody, I'm just, I'm neutral. Yeah. That's why you raised your hand. Yeah. Like, well, not the way I see it. Or, no lockout without two sides. There has to be two sides to lock out. I can't lock you. Right. And you know what? <laughs> I didn't get a vote in the lockout. Yeah, yeah. Right? So this is not a world where we should trust the people because of their title. He has a job. Great for you. I mean, makes a lot of money, gets a, gets a plane. It's all great. Steve, <laughs> man, I just... I, Y'all are fighting. You knew that this was going to be the guy that comes out eventually, right? And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I knew you were getting right. That's why, I wanted to, that's why I wanted to get you here. Yeah. Just last one out of me. You're fighting people that don't care. It's an unbreakable. There's a recession-proof business. There's yeah. a there's yep. a league that's going to make $9 billion a year. The, they yeah. tell you. They say this to you, D. The name, the, the emblem on the side of the helmet is bigger than the name on the back. You know 100%. why? Because if you break your neck, there's going to be a safety, a running back, or a linebacker to step right in behind Never you. Never sure. If I get upset and want more money, they're going to have somebody playing middle linebacker for the Dolphins, D. So you're fighting an unbeatable force yeah. every single day. Yeah. I, like, 
What, what's the answer? What's the what's the end? What finish line are you running to? Fight. Right. I mean, look, the people who came before us, man, look, Martin Luther nails those things on the church door. Martin Luther King goes to Memphis because two union workers were dead, sanitation workers. So on MLK Day, what I always try to remind people is the the the, the single event that that ushered Dr. King into immortality was him showing up because two unionized sanitation workers were killed on the job. That's why he's there. Yes, unbeatable force, but man, our country, you know, whether it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's women who were fighting for equal pay, um, women soccer players who were fighting for equal pay, um, the first strike by the NFL players Think about this for a second, just like one of those brain things, right? Um, the first strike by NFL players was called a strike over freedom issues. The teams used to tell you not only what time to wake up, what time to go to bed, but what to wear, what you could say, where you could go, how long you could go, where you could say. I mean, those are things that are insulting as a man. And yes, it's, a, it's an unbeatable force. Um, but that doesn't mean that with with, with good leadership, you can't fight good battles and win good wars. For us, it was just exciting to get to come back to a place that represents us your building. And, and get an opportunity to sit down with you. Coach Tomlin, I think it was around 2010 or so, called me in his office and told me, RC, you gotta stop throwing rocks at tanks because I would always talk about the NFL. During your time, during our time, and until you walk out of this building, I know you're gonna keep throwing rocks at tanks with other people that throw rocks at tanks. And here's what I know, you're never gonna stop the tank. Right. But you can chip off enough paint, 100%. where they at least gotta get outside and make repairs. 100%. And that's what you've been doing, man. I'm very grateful for man, you. Man, I'm proud of you and it's been a pleasure to serve and for all of you. You know, I, I was in your locker rooms when, when you were playing and, and looking at you um, when we were a little bit younger. But all of you were, were soldiers. And, and what I love for a group of our men, um, playing a great game, having a great time, every one of you guys understood um, and appreciated the fight. And, and that is why you know, I love this show. And that's why, look, my work will continue in other ways. But every time you guys just speak truth to power, you guys are still throwing rocks at tanks. That's what all we right. do. Thank All you guys. love, brother. All love. Yes, man, thank you. That was awesome. I appreciate man, you, That was awesome, man. Appreciate you. See, man, we don't do them little wax. Do them little wax stand at the, at, the, at the microphone and talk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hold up. Limitless. Take a semi-cap pin in it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, got me up. On the mission, got me up. Low on me, I got the key. On this vision, I can trust. Trust. Limitless. Take a semi-cap pin in it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, got me up. On the